Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Welcome, everybody. Today, I will be speaking to Alex Sharp uh, out of uh, Sharp Consulting. Uh, Alex has been trained by the Big Four Management Consultancy with real-world operational experience. Uh, he has deep cybersecurity and digital transformation knowledge long before this was even called cybersecurity. He's been working with customers uh, across 20 countries and six, and six continents for, uh, I don't know for how long, but we'll find out in a minute. <laughs> uh, he also co-founded two companies uh, and one of them was also um, a successful okay. exit. Uh, he participated in over 20 M&A transactions and is one of the top uh, top 10 thought leaders in cybersecurity, risk management, and the cloud, and also top 33 cybersecurity professionals to watch in 2021. So Alex, maybe this is the place to ask you to move in and properly introduce yourself. Oh, thank you very much, Ben. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, that was a great introduction. Thank you. Uh, bottom line is, yeah, I've been in the industry for a very long time, been doing cybersecurity and digital transformation long before they had those terms. I started out as an engineer, uh, moved into operations research and eventually going to business school. Along the way, started uh, business units at two of the larger firms, Biz, uh, Booz Allen, KPMG actually started uh, what we now call digital transformation for KPMG in the Mid-Atlantic long time ago. Started a couple firms, uh, one of which went public, the other one got acquired, and then I ventured out on my own some, some years ago. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. I work with a lot of clients, love it, also enjoy speaking and, and writing. That's me. Yeah, thank yeah, and thank you for that introduction. And and just to make sure that I that I get the full picture here, right now you're focused on offering your own virtual CISO services to company. Is that to companies? Is that correct? Yeah, that's a big part of the offering. Um, you know, even clients who don't uh, bring me or my firm on as virtual as a virtual CISO, we still do assessments, audits, remediation. Um, incident response and the like. So we, you know, virtual CISO is 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 a big offering, um, but we're not going to stop helping people if they don't want to do the full scope. They just need something with a shorter duration. Got it. And and again, you've been in the industry for quite some time. Is it twenty uh, something years then? Uh, I don't want to admit it. Thirty five. 35, wow, yeah. 35, I had a lot more hair at the time and I didn't need to wear these glasses. Mm. Well, um, I'm glad you, you, we, have it, we, have it, we have you here. Uh, I got mixed up. Uh, so yeah, let's, let's dive right in. Um, 
So typically I'd like to, uh, to start off with a couple of icebreaker questions here. Uh, and I also, I always love to ask about your marital status and your favorite drink. All right, so I've uh, been married, it'll be 30 years in September. Wow. Um, yeah, so must be doing something right. But yeah, married for 30 years. And then favorite drink, it, I can't give you one. Um, I love my bourbon and I love my wine. So I bounce between the two of them. How about you? Uh, for me, you know, I like my wines, I like my bourbon, but I think single malt is probably my go-to. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. I also enjoy More beers. But, yeah. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I started experimenting. I tried to, right now I'm making like a, like a cherry liquor. Um, so, but yeah, Ooh. you know, still single malt, 18 years and above. That's, that's my favorite. I like it. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions here. Uh, and, you know, the, the main purpose of this podcast is to share the knowledge and to provide some insight into the mindset of a CISO and basically to help like new practitioners that want to, you know, to go down that path and are considering, you know, at some point in their in their career to becoming a CISO. Um, so I'm going to ask you all kinds of questions about your journey, basically. And if that's okay with you, we can get started. Go for it. So what's the one thing you wish you had known when you began your career? Uh, um, all right. So when I, when I graduated college, again, my bachelor's is in engineering with minors in math and computer science. So I really started as a geek. I mean, really, really into that, but I wanted to change the world. And what I learned very quickly is the world just doesn't necessarily want to change because you want to do it. I wanted to set the world on fire. And that's a, that's a pretty big task. Um, but I also learned that just because you don't, you're not able to set the world on fire, you're not necessarily going to get blamed for it either. So there's a lot to be said for uh, trying to shoot for the stars, but you know, be sure you have enough gas to get to the moon. And you know, one of the beauties of, of really trying to push the envelope, especially when you're younger, people will give you a lot of latitude. So you, you, it really becomes a learning experience. It's, it's a good thing to do. But I just wish I, I knew earlier on it was gonna be a lot harder than I thought it was. And again, thank you for that. Um, so definitely from what I understand, so you're considering this, like, you know, at the beginning of your journey, you, you, you decide to shoot for the stars, but you, you realize along the way that you really want to, it's all about, and again, I might be paraphrasing it, but it's all about the journey and it's all about achieving the, the next big, the next big step. Is, is that correct? Yeah, and you know, maybe the other way to put it is, you know, it's okay to fail. It really is. Mm, and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because that's my next question. What's your biggest failure then? Oh, man, um, that, that's a tough one. And the, the tough word in that is biggest, right? Because mm -hmm. I think we all sit down and talk about our failures. Um, to be to be earnest, to be really honest and candid about that, 
there's been a few times where I had folks on my team or we were working with that I felt had a tremendous amount of potential, tremendous amount of untapped potential. And I, I feel like I was never able to really work with them and, and, and kind of unlock all that value for one reason or another. So it's, it's kind of like an opportunity lost. And that, that to me feels like the biggest failures. So losing, uh, losing um, um, great potentials and lo losing good stakeholders and employees in your team. Um, yeah, and, and I can definitely relate to that. And I don't know about you, but, uh, or for the, for the specific reasons that you had, but uh, I think for me, it's all, always the, the lack of time, the lack of time to actually invest and, you know, it, it's definitely, yeah, I, I think the two things that get in the way are time and energy, you know, and I find as you go further and further up the chain, you actually end up having less time. Yeah. And it gets harder to manage your time because as you, you get more senior, you are actually more subservient to the people across the organization and above you, and to a lot of extent, the people below you, then you are as an individual contributor. So, you know, we're focused on, on CISO. Um, I've, I've had the privilege of being CISO to a couple publicly traded companies. And when you're dealing in that kind of environment, because you not only have all the normal business pressures and everything going on, but you're publicly traded and you have a different set of eyes on you. You have your stakeholders, you have the different regulatory bodies. You, you know, you're spending a lot of time juggling a lot of pieces and sometimes things fall through the crack, not because you, you're not interested, just because you run out of time and energy. And it, 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 you know, you could sit down and be like a bull in the China shop and just think that you'll muscle through, but at some point we all need to relax and we need to sleep. Yeah. And you know, not enough days in a week. Yeah, definitely agree with you on that. And, and, you know, for me, what I'm trying to, to put in place was basically to create a culture in the organization that is not necessarily reliant on a single individual. It's hard. Let me tell you that it's not, I mean, it's not easy and I'm sure a lot, and I, and I've spoken to a lot of CISOs in the past year, and I know culture is a is a key factor there for success, especially if you if you're talking about you know employees and wanting to to keep or uh, wanting to preserve the, the the talent that you have. Um, oh, absolutely, it's you know some people say culture is what happens when you're not looking, <laughs> and I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I think culture either happens because you create it or it happens because you ignore it. So if you create it like you're trying to do, that is that takes a tremendous amount of effort. And this is why I go back to my, my startup experience. When you're in a startup, one of the things you're doing is setting the stage for the future. And if you're looking at building an ongoing concern, you're really thinking, what's this organization going to look like three, five years out? 
what's it going to look like when I'm no longer here, right? Because I've moved on to do something else, not necessarily outside the organization, but I have to build the next team of leadership. So as we grow and expand, you know, the people underneath me are the ones that are coming up through the ranks, taking over my job. And I have to be sure I choose the right ones and groom them correctly, that they instill the culture we need long term. You know, it's, it's, it's a huge amount of investment. And it always comes back, um, you know, tenfold. But man, does it take a lot of time, energy and thought. It's, 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 you know, people talk about culture happening when you're not looking. But man, if, if you don't focus on it, you don't know what you're going to end up with. And I, I, I fear the folks that do. I feel yeah. sorry. And you might just end up with a toxic environment, right? And that's, oh. that's one thing you want to avoid at all costs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But, but touching a, a bit about what you perceive as failures, what would you say your bi biggest success was? You know, you're asking tough questions. I like that. Um, biggest success. So once in a while, I sit back and say, if, if I was on my deathbed tomorrow, what would I look back on? What were the things I'm most proud about? And I think the, the thing that I'm most proud about is how many relationships I have kept over the duration of my career. How many times I've moved from one position to another and staff have come with me. How many times my clients change jobs and they call me again? Um, that's probably what I'm most proud of is developing and maintaining those long-term relationships. And like we talked about before about investing in people, there's some people that when they, they worked for me, you know, I was one of, you know, maybe their first boss or second boss, and they've gone on to do great things. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's really good to see that, you know, feeling like you've really made, you know, you've made a difference in that person's life. And to some extent, you feel like you've changed the world and that you're still friends and you still talk to each other that, you know, that, that shows, that shows qualities. You know, I'm very proud of that. I really am. Yeah. And, 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 you know, uh, my next question Actually, when I asked this next question to a couple of my previous interviewees, they said, so the question goes, what would you have done differently looking back on your career? Now, the answer I got in a, f in a few cases was uh, the fact that they did not market themselves uh, as well as they should have, or the fact that they didn't, you know, form relationships as they should have. So I'm curious to to hear your thoughts on on this question here. Well, you're you're touching on you're you're touching on on a great point. So let me give you two sides of the answer. When you say, "What would you have done differently?" I, I don't know. Maybe nothing. And I'll tell you why, because it's hard to prove the counterfactual, right? It's always, you can always think about what if I did this differently? What if I did that differently? And I think those are good exercises, but at the end of the day, you could also, by going back in time and changing something, you could create a series of events that really had cat catastrophic differences, right? So maybe nothing. 
-hmm. But going down your line, um, throughout my career, one of the most consistent pieces of feedback I have received was that I didn't spend enough time marketing myself. It's funny you bring that up. It had to make me laugh. And what I've always struggled with is going back to what we talked about before is how you go further and further up the chain, you actually become, you know, you're supporting a lot of other people, especially in the role of a CISO. Because a CISO's job, when you think about it, is to help the business operate securely, right? That's your job. Somebody else is deciding how the business is going to run and what the business is going to be about. You have to figure out how to do it securely, right? So it's it's a job where, by definition, you're helping other people. So I've always got had this feeling that my my the expression I use is the client is always the hero of the story. So when I'm a virtual CISO, my job is to make my client successful. Even when I'm in some other role, my job is to make the client successful, or the president successful, or the CFO or the COO, we can go down the list. My job is to make them successful. So I've always battled between this thing about when do, you know, I've always been told I need to promote me better, but how do I do that in a way that still makes these other people successful? So maybe if I would say I did something differently, it would be figure that out. I still struggle with it, but maybe I would have gotten further faster if I paid more attention to it. I'd love to hear what other people have come up with. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I have a definitive answer. My personal opinion on that would be that, well, I think it's basically what you're doing right now, you know, sharing the knowledge, uh, speaking, uh, get, putting yourself out there on stages and, and, and speaking and sharing your experience. I think, I think that, you know, it's not for the purpose of marketing yourself. It's for the purpose of sharing the knowledge. I think the side effect of that might be marketing yourself. But that's just, you know, my personal opinion. Um, I like that because that's a thought leader position and that's a... Uh... When you think about it, the business we're in is around knowledge and credibility. And that the scenario you just painted does that very, very well. Yeah, and it and it does it organically, right? I think so. Yeah, um, it does. It does. That's an excellent point. I like that. Okay. Um, thank you. So what would you say? Uh, so, and, and again, you've, you've been in the market for 35 years and you've probably went to numerous like uh, courses and, and, and academia maybe. What in your, in your opinion, what were the best resources that have helped you along the way? Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt, networks and relationships. Without a doubt. Now, I, I own too many books. I have more papers on my, my laptop than I will ever get to read. I have more copies of Harvard Business Review and everything else laying around than I'll ever get to read. And there's stuff I always go back to. There's books I always reference. But without a doubt, the best resource uh, are, is my network and the relationships in that network. Um, a senior executive I used to work with, he used to, you know, took a turn out of President Reagan, and he always talked about having his kitchen cabinet. Um, I, I think anybody in any role throughout your career, 
you need to surround yourself with a handful of people who have complementary skills, have a different view on things that are willing to throw out, I, I sometimes call it the BS flag, that will be ready to call you out on stuff. And I think without a doubt, having those people around me um, have, has been the absolute best resource. And yeah, I, I think anybody who doesn't have that kind of network needs to build one. Yeah, and I'm in total agreement with you on that. And out of that vast network of relationships that you have, can you can you name maybe a few that you would consider as mentors or, you know, just a few people that were very influential to you? Yeah, I laugh because the list is too long. I can go back to teachers in gra uh, grammar school, um, professors, people I've worked with, colleagues, whatever. I could go back to all of them. Um, the person who tends to come into my mind very, very quickly every time I think of this is probably my first professional mentor when I was, uh, when I first started my first job, the, the senior executive's name was Ed Lindauer. He passed away some years ago and I wish I could sit down and thank him again, but he gave me a number of pearls of wisdom very early in my career that, that lasted with me. So for example, he always used to say, ask why whatever, whenever you're given a task or you have something to do, why am I doing it? What's the outcome? What's this going to look like in five years? You know, why, 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 why? And it's always stuck with me. So when I'm talking to a client or an executive or we've got a task or an incident response, whatever, the why question is always going through my head. And the other one that sticks with me, it's a kind of a little off the, 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 the track, it's not the kind of thing we talk about all the time, but it has come up more and more recently as the field of organizational dynamics increases, is I was having a really bad day and he asked me about it and I told him and he just got this funny smile on my face. He was almost giggling and he looked at me and he said, you know, sometimes the only way you know you're doing a good job is by who you're pissing off. <laughs> and he was absolutely right. He was absolutely right. And you know, when you're in a CISO role, sometimes you have to tell people what they don't want to hear. Yeah. Right. You have to. Sometimes it's your staff. Sometimes it's, it's your boss. Um, sometimes it's the C CFO who doesn't want to spend the money. Uh, sometimes it's a regulator, right? Sometimes you got to tell them what they don't want to hear, but that candor is very, very important, especially if you want to build the kind of culture you're talking about, being able to have those kind of, you know, those straight dialogues and ruffle feathers. You got to break, as a CISO, I believe you have to break glass. I think there's no way a CISO can do their job without breaking glass. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's going to ruffle feathers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're on point here. Um, is there one... I would say, I would ask like one common myth or, uh, you know, about the profession that you wanted to debunk. Oh yeah. The, and this is, this is, this is a very standard answer for me and it's, it's coming up even more so um, 
with everything going on um, nationally and globally, um, being a CISO is not about the technology. It's not exclusively about the technology. I think that's a mistake people make. So technical controls are the easiest, most obvious, most cost-effective, but in and of themselves, they are not complete. You know, there's actually considered to be, well, depending on what, what model you look at, there's seven categories of controls. And there's a lot of those controls that are actually administrative. They come down to humans. You know, they come down to process. And those are the ones that are usually the most valuable when things go awry. So I think the number one thing is the CISO job is not about technology. Technology is a key part of it, but we can't forget about all the pieces that wrap around the technology. Um, that would be the number one myth I would want to debunk. Yeah. Uh, with you on that, I, I would, uh, if I was asked that question, I would, uh, I think my response would be similar, but it would be more focused on compliance. You know, uh, the myth I would like to debunk is that compliance is a collective uh, bunch of BS and just a, a collective bunch of, uh, of technical controls, where in essence, it's what it should be is a foundation for you that would help you uh, operate in, in, in a more secure and efficient manner, basically. But I think, you know, unfortunately, most organizations might uh, adopt whatever compliance framework and just uh, use it as a sort of a checkbox exercise. But well, and, and, and that's part of where I'm going. And I think we could have a larger debate. So if you look at like NIST 171, yeah. which is a pretty strong document, I personally think it falls short around a lot of the non-technical aspects that are absolutely required in an organization to achieve the end result. Mm -hmm. So that, that's very consistent with what you're saying. So checking off those boxes will get you a long way, but in and of itself, it's not complete. So yeah. I, I agree with where you're going. Well said. And let's talk a bit about yourself. As I mentioned, uh, through Sharp Consulting, you offer all kinds of uh, security, cybersecurity and compliance services to include the virtual CISO. Um, can you tell me a bit about the market that you operate in? Is there like a sweet spot for you? Uh, yes and no. Uh, the market's changing. So historically, our clients have been Fortune 500, right? We tend to operate with very large, a lot of well-known known brand names that you know that are publicly traded. Over the past couple of years, uh, we've had a couple of interesting changes. Number one was we're getting more and more interest from um, small and medium-sized businesses. And when I said small and medium-sized, they could be billions of dollars or, or hundreds of millions but they're not Fortune 500. So there has definitely been an increased awareness and a willingness to invest and spend money like we haven't seen, or at least I haven't seen historically. That's number one. Number two is a few years ago, the Defense Department came out with um, th this new mandate, uh, CMMC, Cybersecurity 
maturity model certification based on CMMI. And I, Ben, I know you've heard of it. A lot of other people may not have, but that basically said, okay, if you wanna continue doing business with the defense department, you have to be rated on this maturity scale of your cyber hygiene. And if you don't get up to certain levels, you can't be awarded certain contracts. Mm-hmm. Very simple, right? Since that came out, um, I've seen a, a pretty dramatic actic, uh, uptick in activity from defense contractors. And most recently with um, Colonial Pipeline and, lo- and the like, um, the amount of activity from critical infrastructure has has probably increased tenfold. So we've gone from Fortune 500 two years ago to a lot of a lot of activity around SMB, defense, and critical infrastructure. Yeah, and CMMC right now is a huge opportunity. I oh, yeah. know I've, I've heard, you know, from some sources that are that there's a ridiculous number of uh, companies that are waiting in line to get accredited and not enough auditors at the moment. Yep. Um, yeah. And, and CMMC, as you well know, uh, you know, it's based like one of the key standard, one of the key frameworks that, that are in there uh, is the NIST uh, 800-171-R2. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's yeah, not the, the only one, but it's one of them. It's one of the, it's the biggest part, but you know, you talk about the numbers, the, the defense department has estimated there's 350,000 uh, vendors that need to be assessed. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I've got one of the designations I'm working on um, the assessor and the trainer right now. And I, and one, I'm one of the first to go through. So we're a very long way away from getting all the resources spun up and getting through all this. So, you know, to your point, it's, it's, it's a big area and it's a big effort. And I think, frankly, my prediction is you're going to see that expand past defense very, very quickly. That's my prediction. Yeah, I think the mandate, that, like the, the communication, the original communication that the DOD has put out there was, I think the target date was 2025 for, you know, completely securing the supply chain of the U.S. government. So definitely a lot of work to be done by that time. Mm. Yep, yep. Okay. Uh, what would you say, so your customers, and you mentioned like a few market niches that you're in, what would you say the common challenges that your customer face now are, basically? So there, there's really two sets of challenges, right? One is all of a sudden they're getting a lot of demand from the outside, right? And they're not staffed up to accommodate it. And because that this is kind of new to them, they're not even sure. They don't have the experience to determine uh, what are the right decisions, right? They just don't have that experience. So they're struggling with that. And I think making the situation worse is because there's a lot of money being poured into cybersecurity. Digital transformation has um, become a very popular term since COVID right? Because that was the ultimate accelerator. Uh, We now have a lot of people just diving into that market because they perceive a huge budget. 
right? So you've got these companies that know that they're deficient and they're struggling because they're being overwhelmed with all of these claims. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even there's people I know in this industry, they really truly believe they are really at the top of their game. Um, but folks who've been in it for five or 10 years would say that they're C players, but they themselves think they're A's. So, and that's, that's part of the learning curve. The, the problem is for the organization who is trying to protect their organization, they want to keep people employed. They want to make sure their patients are safe. They don't want to, they don't want to lose the business, right? They want to do the right thing. They're being overwhelmed with a lot of claims and they themselves don't have the background to determine what's right and what's not. So they're struggling. Right? That's the biggest challenge I hear from them consistently. Yeah, yeah, and, and I understand that, especially in a space that were not as closely regulated in the past, there's a transition that needs to take place, obviously, for the entire ecosystem, by the way. So providers exactly. and clients alike. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of, um, you know, especially the um, SMBs to go out to an MSP you know, engage a third party like a greasy, um, a GRC. My New Jersey accent sometimes gets in the way. And, you know, I know companies that tell me they get 10, 15, 20 calls a week from companies that all say the same thing. Hey, outsource your IT to us. And then they're saying they're going, which one do I choose? How do I know which one is real? You know, so it's a, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of an issue. We'll get yeah. through it, but it's going to be very, very painful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the main reason why um, traditionally CISOs have tend to stay within the confines of their networks to, to, to look up for new vendors. I think yeah. because there's so, so much clutter and so much noise out there. I think that's probably the main reason. Um, okay. Yeah. And, you know, let, let's talk a bit about vendors, you know, being a vendor yourself uh, as an external vendor that uh, might uh, occupy an internal seat uh, in the organization. Like, how would you define your relationships with other vendors? What, what advice can you give out to vendors to basically play well together? Oh, so I, I would say, that the relationships go anywhere from glory to disaster. Now, fortunately, there's very few that I, I would put on the disaster end, but they do exist. And uh, I think it comes from a couple of things. Um, you know, human nature, business competition and the like. Um, and a lot of times with my clients, they often bring me on and over time I end up managing their staff and their vendors. Not all vendors like that. They just don't. They want to be reporting directly to the president or they perceive me as an outsider who's also a competitor. You know, it doesn't always work. But I find that if you deal with people, um, you know, in a direct, earnest manner, 
you know, they understand that you're being genuine, most people respond. And it goes back to what we're saying before. I, I think most people, most professionals, especially in business, if you deal with them directly and you're up front with them, they'll respect you for it. They'll respect you for it. Um, there's some vendors, you're going to be dealing with the wrong people. It's not going to work. And you just have to tough it out. It's just the way it is. One of the, one of the, the best compliments I got, I don't know if they meant it as a compliment or not when they gave it to me, uh, but I was dealing, I was doing a lot of work with a major technology vendor. You would know the name. And one of their VPs told me one day, he said, you know, um, the other partners, even the ones who don't like you, respect you. And I was like, that's kind of a backhanded compliment. But I thought about it. The more I thought about it, the more I liked it. I like that. You know, because I think sometimes it comes down to people compete or people just don't like each other. But you know what? We're not paid to like each other. We're paid to work together. So as long as you're dealing with mature folks, you can figure it out. Yeah, and I think maturity is the key word here, because, you know, to be direct and earnest, uh, you really need to have um, a specific mindset. You you need to be yeah. mature enough to uh, accept your own limitations and, and to be able to communicate that, you know, you're not the, the biggest hotshot on everything out there. You might have, you know, some advantages, some disadvantages. You might have more or less in, in your skill set, but... Uh, but definitely, I think I think maturity is the key keyword here. Yeah. Um, and you know, when starting to work with a new vendor, um, can you name like like common challenges? Or I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't ask what's the biggest challenge, but you know, like what, what's the most common challenge when you start working with a new vendor as a VC? So, um, let me rephrase the question if you don't mind. Of course. Whenever I start working with a vendor, a client, an associate, a peer, whomever, my number one goal is to understand how they're wired. How do they work? How do they think? How do they behave? And most importantly, what are their goals, both on a business side and a personal side? So we talk about good advice you've been given. A long time ago, um, the person who actually gave it to me, uh, he, he also passed away a few years ago. He was a retired Marine Corps Colonel. And he was a crusty guy, hell of a nice guy, but man, he was crusty. You did not want to meet him in a dark alley. You know, he's the kind of guy you didn't want to rub the wrong way. Um, but he had a lot of good, really good insight into dealing with people. And he, he used to say, whenever you're dealing with somebody, there's two people sitting across the table. The person sitting across the table from you is not only the business person you're trying to do a business transaction with, but they're also a human. They focus on their careers. They have issues with their family. They got to worry about putting their kids through college. You know, they're, they don't like their daughter's boyfriend. You know, they can go right down the entire list, just like any of us can. So he used to say, there's two people in front of you. 
you need to understand not only their business persona and their business goals, their business objectives, but you also need to understand what's important to them as a person. And I think that's, I think that's very important. So understanding how the vendor is wired, how do they work, and then understand the people you're dealing with, <clears throat> excuse me, and what's important to them, not only in a business side and a personal side. By the way, one of the things you can learn on a personal side is there's some people in business who never want to touch the personal aspects for whatever yeah. reason, and that needs to be respected. Yeah, yeah, I, I was about to ask about that, by, by the way, but thank you for you, clarifying that. You, you need to understand it. Yeah, I, I have very close clients that, you know, they, I, I'm over at their house, right? They invite me over for holiday parties. Other clients, I really have no insight to their families because they never want to talk about it. But we've known each other for 10, 15, 20 years, but they never go there. So I never push it. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah. Got to understand it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and, you know, talking a bit about your role, a bit more about your role, uh, and, and you, you've occupied the CISO seat in the past, and now you you offer the virtual CISO uh, service. What would you say the, the biggest difference is between your role right now as a virtual CISO to, uh, as opposed to a full-time CISO? Well, that's, that's interesting um, because I think there's, there's definitely some strong advantages and disadvantages, uh, but it's two sides of the same coin. So uh, let's look at it both ways at the same time. When you're a full-time CISO, you are immersed in that organization. Um, your authority comes from your role and your title, right? But you're part of the organization, you're there day in and day out, you're, you, you live and die with the organization, right? So there's a level of commitment. People understand you better. Um, th they can get their heads around it. When you're a virtual CISO, you're a contractor, right? So you're kind of half in and kind of half out. And some people in the organization will never treat you as if you're 150% committed, right? Because they think you're only there part-time. Yeah. But but the other part of it is, and I think this often gets lost, I think there's a tremendous value in having seen multiple organizations. You get exposed to new ideas, new situations, which not only provides a deeper understanding, but it provides a wider depth of understanding. So you're, you're able, at no additional cost to the organization, to bring back additional knowledge, relationships, um, and actually cost savings, right? Oh, you know, hey, you're looking at this tool over there. Well, one of my other clients did that same analysis six months ago. Let me save you three months, right? Let me show you the data. We might come up with a different situation, but I can help accelerate the process for you. Um, I recently had a situation in the past year where one of my clients um, was experiencing an attack that another client had already been through. And actually my, cl my one client being hit is why I was engaged. So when this happened at the second client, I said, hey, been there, let me show you. And we were able to 
um, respond that much quicker because all we had to do is dust off the learning and call up the other organization and get what we needed. So there's, there's a lot of advantages, but it does put an extra burden on the uh, virtual CISO to manage the dynamics. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think you know it, it goes back a lot to to chemistry as well. Oh, whereas you know you, you might not, uh, I mean, you as an individual might not resonate well with some customers as opposed to others. And uh, and and definitely, I do understand and agree with you about the advantages and disadvantages as well. And this is a recurrent theme I've been hearing about. Uh, you know not being perceived as part of the team because you're yeah. not a full-time employee. That's, you know, that's definitely, I think I would say the biggest challenge that, that any, anyone that provides a similar service has. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's part of the ecosystem, I guess, I think. Um, yeah, not, nothing's perfect, right? So there's gotta be something to manage. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if I were to talk to to any of your customers what would you say what would you think that they would say about you would they and and you know looking behind you i'm seeing darth vader and i i'm seeing yoda which one of those are you <laughs> in the eyes of your customers well let me let's go there to the pictures first uh both of those are gifts um the the more look yoda's on top for a reason but darth vader i don't know if you can see the picture all that well, but Darth Vader is drinking bourbon and smoking a cigar. Oh, yeah, I see it now. So uh, one of the guys who worked for me gave me that some years ago. The title of it was, uh, let me see if I can remember it. It's um, those cute fur furry creatures are thwarting your goal for universal dominance and your kids are trying to kill you <laughs> and i opened it up and it's a picture of darth vader smoking a cigar drinking bourbon right so the message is like we talked about before you got this evil creature all powerful all knowing all that but he's got a life too right he deals with the same things we are <clears throat> and you turn it you know you kind of turn it around and it's it's there so um, circling back to your question, about a year, two years ago, um, I was looking at updating my website and I had somebody go around to my clients and ask them about, you know, what worked, what didn't work. And I was taken aback. What the number one answer we got on why the clients kept coming back to me and my firm was because we actually got stuff done. I was like, okay, that's not what I expected. I had all these thoughts in my head and I actually went back and I looked at LinkedIn recommendations. I looked at emails. I looked at references, uh, you know, one client gives to a prospect, all that. And that theme was throughout. And um, what I found talking to my clients was that they've all been burned by a, a vendor, whether it be an independent consultant or a consulting firm that didn't do what they said they were gonna do. And it ended up hurting them on a different level. So I think it's a simple message that if you do what you say you're gonna do, you know, you, you're automatically like above the competition. 
Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's a bit weird, wouldn't you say? I mean, at uh, especially nowadays when you have so well-defined SOW documents and MSAs and whatnot, but you know, to 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 stand out in the crowd just by the fact of delivering whatever it is that you say that you will be delivering. Um, you know what? It's working. I'm not going to give it back. Yeah, no reason you should. Yeah. And, and and again, talking a bit more about customers, who would you say is your ideal customer? And and I'm not uh, talking about specifically the market niche that you're after. Like your what I asked before about the sweet spot, and you mentioned you know the the the, the government space and the SMBs and the medium businesses. I'm asking more along the lines of like, are you looking for maybe I don't know, and I, I don't and I don't want to guide you too much here. So uh, yeah, maybe we'll just can keep it like an open-ended question. Yeah, so like three, three characteristics instantly come to mind. I like working for people that are strong leaders. I like strong leaders. The second is I like them to be, to have a meritocracy. The people that they hire and they reward uh, it's because of the value they deliver to the organization. It's not because who they know or whatever, but it's a meritocracy. And lastly, I really like clients that are aspirational. You know, they have a, they have a plan and they're really trying to take the organization somewhere, right? It's like what we talked about before. They're shooting for the stars knowing they have to have enough gas to get to the moon. Mm -hmm. So those are the three things that come to mind. I like my clients to be uh, good leaders because they enable their people. They, they hire the right folks. They give them the, the, the right incentives. They understand accountability. We can go down the whole list, right? All the things we as consultants love, right? We want to be given a job. Let us figure out how to do it reward us when we do it well. And if we're off track, let's do a course correction. I like meritocracies where people are rewarded. The entire organization is rewarded for the value they deliver. And then lastly, um, you know, I, I, I really like them to be aspirational that they're, they have a, they have a vision because once you have a vision, you can help figure out how to get them there. If, mm -hmm. if they're changing direction every other week, it's kind of hard to steer the ship. Yeah. And now that we've touched about what it is that you like about your customers, what qualities you don't like in a customer? Um, truthfully, just the, when they don't have any of those qualities, when, um, when they're directionless or um, they're way too political, uh, that, that's a problem. That's a problem. I've, I find one of the things that happens is, you know, when you're a CISO, let's face it, you get most attention in an organization where, where something's not going well, right? Yeah. And if your direct client is somebody that's very political, when you need the most, like during an incident response, they're running for cover. Right, so the moment you need them the most, they're gone, and they're looking for somebody to shoot so they don't get shot. So, I I, I don't like those clients. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, I think uh, when you encounter uh, an organization that's too political, it says something as well about the culture and about, you know, the willingness to actually get some work done. But that, again, yeah. this is just my personal opinion. I will, I will agree. I'll also go one step, step further. You know, I'll put my management consultant hat on. I think it also says something about the business model. Because mm -hmm. there are some business models, Warren Buffett talks about this, that there's some business models that are still successful no matter how bad the management is. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's true. Other times, it, if, if you continue to be poorly managed, the business is going to disappear over time. You know, so it's a, yeah. not the kind of business I want to be a part of. Definitely not as an outsider. Yeah, definitely understood. And we're coming to almost to, to the end of this uh, podcast here today. Uh, what's the best way for our listeners and, you know, clients, customers, and vendors to connect with you online? Well, uh, a couple of things. So first of all, you'll notice on my, my, my video here, there's this little QR code that'll connect you to my LinkedIn. You just put that on your smartphone, it'll come up, connect with me on LinkedIn. That's the easiest thing. It, if you want to Google, um, it's sharp with an E, sharp like a knife. There's both an E on the end. Just Google, reach out. Uh, if you can, and, you know, want to email me, connect over LinkedIn, let me know it came through the podcast. Uh, one of the things um, I'm, I'm willing to give anybody who comes through the podcast is a free consultation. So if that wants to be about your security strategy, business strategy, career, you want to be a CISO, whatever, feel free. Let me know you're part of the podcast and I'll, I'll give you a free consult. It's easy. Yeah, that, again, that's, very, that's very generous of you. Thank you. I'll definitely take a note out of that and mention it when we bring this uh, online. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That'd be great. Yeah. Definitely. Great. And, you know, just to wrap this up, uh, you know, with the not so serious tone, uh, a quick fun question for me to ask. If you had unlimited funds, or basically, in other words, if money was never an issue, what would you do with your life? Oh, um, well, there, there's a couple of parts to the answer. So, there's a part of me that at some point in my life wants to get into philanthropy. Now, where am I going with that? I, I put myself through school and that was sheer hell, right? To get my bachelor's after that, you know, work pays for it and all, but that was sheer hell. And what I really like to do is find a way to help people not with the, just the financial aspects of that, but the life lessons that help people manage their careers, manage their finances, manage, just manage stuff. The, the things that um, I see are lacking a lot of time and people trying to, you know, kind of come out of a bad situation like I did, where you're, you're putting yourself through school, education's the vehicle, to become a better person. There, there are a lot of like life lessons that I think are very valuable 
and will help people get through that, but I don't see them naturally being addressed. Mm -hmm. um, the other part of it is um, I, I love the water. I love warm weather. So I would definitely find a way to spend more time in the sun, either at the beach or next to a pool. So one is very philanthropic. The other one is very self-serving. Mm -hmm. any, any specific location for that beach or a pool? Uh, well, there's a lot of thoughts. There's a lot of thoughts. Um, now, there's, no. there's too many. It, it's one of those things where I, I can create a very long list of places that would all work. Um, and also with, we look, whether you believe in global warming or not, the ocean levels have been rising for years. I don't want to choose an island that'll be gone when I retire, right? It's just... Yeah. Yeah. But the oceans in the U.S. are mostly too cold for my taste. So uh, maybe Hawaii or maybe the Caribbeans. Uh, they're definitely on my list. And I have to say Aqaba is also on my list. Aqaba in Jordan, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, sounds like a plan. And with that, let me thank you for taking the time to join me in my podcast today, Alex. Uh, it was a pleasure talking with you. And hopefully you, the knowledge that we gain here today would, uh, you know, make sense to some of our listeners. And maybe it will also might help someone along the way. And yeah, thank you again for joining. Well, thank you again. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, again, to all the audience, reach out, sharp like a knife, connect with me on LinkedIn. would love to hear from you. Thank you.